You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors, giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org donate to make a gift. Thank you so much. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome everyone to this season four dialogue where I'm here with Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. To talk about Guigo II's book, The Ladder of Monks, and your talk, your third talk on the, on the, on the ladder. And Jim, in this session, uh, you focused on the fourth rung of the ladder. And my first question about the fourth rung, is, it, is there anything we actually do at that rung or is what happens at that rung all done by God? I, I would say um, this it's, it's subtle. So, mm-hmm. That earlier session I said there is a contemplative dimension to each of the rungs. So, yes. for example, in the Lexio, as we take in the beauty of the word heard, we're drawn to contemplate that beauty, for example. And um, and so that act of choosing to contemplate it is an act on our part. It's participatory. Same with meditation. We pause to con- uh, in prayer. What, what distinguishes co- contemplation for goigo, which he means by infused contemplation, is that it's purely an act of God. That okay. is, because what happens in the longing is that your finite longings for this infinite oneness, being finite, we can't do it. And therefore God, the, the boundary crossing is God crosses over and God infinitely gives the infinity of God to us in our powerlessness to reach it. And that's the power of it. And then what we do is we, we, we experience it. You know, we're, we're, we're caught up in it, or we're amazed by it, or we're kind of in an unexplainable oneness with God's unexplainable oneness with us, like that. So we're talking about it as an event, okay. and different ways to discern that event is happening to us, because sometimes it's extremely subtle. Yeah. But what that leads to then is when that moment passes, the path, then the light that shines out from that event illumines a path. And that's what we're exploring. Then lastly, what is this path of uh, ever more habitual groundedness in the oneness, fleetingly realized? And that's path talk, I think. Mm -hmm. So in terms of Guigo's method, there's only activity on, on our side, on the first three rungs. Yes. There's only our activity, but the activity is always a response to God's activity. Yes. But the activity of God on the first three rungs is mediated or incarnate in and as 
our faith, in and as our consolation, in and as our insight, in and and so on. So there's mediations of God, and we're and we're actively experiencing that and actively engaging in it, like we're choosing to engage in it and commit our life to it. We're in the essence of the contemplative, which is really a foretaste of heaven. See, it's really God acting in us, in the infinity of God as God, in an unexplainable oneness. See? And then when it dissipates, we're left with the longing to abide in that. See? And that's, that's, that's where he picks up with the path. Well, what's that? If there is the path of the ladder that led up to the oneness, and then there is the taste of oneness, then what is the path that's illumined by the moment of oneness realized? Yes. See, how do yes. we, what's that mean to be someone who lives like that? Yes. Yeah. And you said it's it's the case that contemplatio, that you called it catching fire, yeah. where God unites with us, it can happen at any of the rungs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In other words, the, the, the fire happens at any of the rungs at the level at which it's experienced at that rung. So, for example, in the Lexio, there can, it can catch fire, okay? but it catches fire as being intimately moved by the beauty of God personally speaking that to us. See? I see. God personally communicating to us in our discursive, in our prayerful dialogue with God. It catches fire in that sense. Mm-hmm. But with contemplation, it catches fire with the fire of God, that it's an infinite fire. I see. That takes us into itself, like like glory. It's a foretaste of glory. Mm-hmm. See, it's just like God in all directions. Yes. And who we are in God. And then when it passes, then we're left with, you know, like, wow. <laughs> Holy cow. And so, and then we know having tasted it, know that, no, we know it's real. Yeah. We know it's real. And it left in our heart the trace of a longing to abide in it. It was very careful to leave. Because having tasted it, we know the poverty or the incompleteness of that which is outside that all-pervasive one is intimately realized, and that's the path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the big point of this book and what, why you are teaching us about the mystics is because even though it's a massive event in our life, um, sometimes it's even hard to recognize that it happened. Is yes. that right? Yeah, it's it's like the, the, the interiority of life is infinitely bigger than the exteriority. I mean, exteriority of life is it's the universe, the cosmos, see? And our plans and projects and the world's very, very big. But it's saying that the interiority is infinitely bigger than the exteriority see? because it's this, uh, this destiny for infinite oneness with the infinite, see? Mm-hmm. The kind of shine, but the exterior self that was transcended in the moment. See, when the oneness passes, see, we know not what to make of it, mm-hmm. because then we're back to to Alexio Divina, that's been touched by the mystical, see, and so we're like in the aura of it. See? But insofar as we're still trying to get to it again. To the exteriority, we're back in this very mysterious. Later in the text, we talk about Jacob wrestling with the angel. You know that somehow we're in this very subtle, and it's so delicate that it's so hard to even begin to find words mm-hmm. to 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 speak of it, see, because of its interiority. 
like that. Yes. Would you also say, Jim, that because it, it happens on God's terms, it's counterintuitive to the ego in a certain way? Because the ego wants to have a sense of control and a se- it's hard for the ego to give up terms to, to God even. Yeah, see, I, I would say this. Let's, no, another way of looking at it would be this. Let's say we could speak first of the unawakened ego. And so the unawakened ego is our, is our reflective consciousness, our human experience but we're somehow exiled from God's all-encompassing, self-donating presence that is our very presence in our nothingness without God. And therefore, what we're used to is our finite experience of the finiteness of ourself. See, you know, in, in the passage of time and the circumstance where I spilled the coffee and I'm late for the meeting and uh, I wanna have lunch and I'm, I have to say this to so-and-so, There's all, all that's real. And because it's a realm, we're attached to it, because it gives a semblance of a kind of control, because it's a kind of a familiarity. We know our way around the closed horizon of the finite. So then when we're touched by the infinite, it's counterintuitive, because it means the ego and being so transcended has to yield over its claim in having the final say in who we are. But we know to give into it, it's based on fear. The, we, the ego has our time believing it can be vulnerable and safe at the same time. And so how do we gently learn this love that instills this trust of being surrendered over to the unexplainable? This taking us to itself unexplainably in our heart. And that's the subtlety. Yes. It's very, uh, the delicacy of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting when you talk about that story of Jacob because it's it's trying to show that delicacy in a very yeah. um, big way, but but ultimately what that's showing and describing is happening in inside in a very kind of subtle way. Is that is that right? Yes. Another way we were saying in an earlier session too is that this is then incarnate in married love, or it's incarnate in parent and child, or it's incarnate with one's grandmother or grandfather, or incarnate with the way of the artist, the way of the poet. That is to say that there's the welling up of a gift which can only carry you away into the richness of itself and your willingness to surrender to it. So in the surrender, then you can tell when the person is speaking out of the surrender, See, which is the eloquence of the poetic. Do I mean it's the eloquence of the aesthetically beautiful? Mm-hmm. But as long as a person tries to stay this side of it, it's, it's crafts. You know, mm. it's a replication of a certain craft. That you can replicate it. And so this mystery we're talking about is somehow built right into life itself. Mm-hmm. The, we're touched by something. What will become of me if I surrender to this? Yeah. But what will become of me if I don't? Mm. That the price paid for the half-lived life is bitter. And tasting them. Yet there's that in me that's afraid to surrender. Mm-hmm. Because it's internalized traumas and abandonments and fears. And so it's a conversion process, I yes. think, with God's help and with love's help. And we find our way. So these these tastes we get in marriage or as 
parents or in our work or in our artistry, are, are, they, are they the contemplatio? Are they, is that what Guigo is referring to as the contemplatio? Is it just pointing to that? I, I, I would say this. I would say this. I would say that in daily life, these incarnations in marriage and parenting and solitude and nature and so on, I would say they're foreshadowings okay. or intimation of the contemplatio. You know what I mean? Like the alluring uh, hint of a kind of shining, like for the experience with the beloved or the child, whatever, is translucent to the divine. Then, but once the enlightenment has occurred, once the oneness has occurred, then we're able to recognize the fullness of God's infinite presence in the ordinariness of the beloved's presence, the ordinariness of the child's presence, and the ordinariness of our presence. And I think that's the difference. I see. Is what you're saying that just like the the Lexio, uh, the prayer and the Meditatio can catch fire in a certain way, once the Contemplatio has happened, we experience all three of those differently. It's the same as a parent or a spouse at any moment that a Contemplatio moment might happen, and then I might experience being a parent or being a spouse differently. Yeah. Yeah, see, I think this is what Guigo means when we reflected on the passage, where he says that when the moment of oneness passes, we're not to plummet, see, out of the richness of the moment, like a free fall into nothingness. Although that can happen, we can experience it that way. But I, I, I use this image of falling backwards in slow motion, see. So we fall out of the oneness, but I say, but we fall into what? We fall into the lexio. See, we're just mm-hmm. sitting there in our living room with with the scriptures open, whatever. And but then it's it's different because now we know at any moment the the simplicity or devotional sincerity of the lexio can catch fire. Mm-hmm. And even deeper, we know in our heart that the very ordinariness of the sincerity of our lexio is the fire of God, incarnate as the ordinariness of our simplicity sitting there. See, I think that's the habituated mystical state, mm. really, when we sense that. I listened to a singer be interviewed over the weekend, and she said, it's so funny, I'm nowhere near as wise as my songs. Like, I'm just not, not as not wise it. as my songs. And it. sometimes I say things in my songs that I would never, mm-hmm. never say out loud, so I've, she'd had, you know, family members listen to the song to share what was on her heart, and she said, "I could, we could never have that conversation, but they could listen to my song and cry, and I could write the song and cry, and in a way, the fact that we'd both done that uh, was yeah. a healing experience." Yeah. See, that's why I think the poet, when they're in the stream of this, uh, it isn't just that we're surprised by the beauty of it. But the poet was also surprised, <laughs> you know, because it was the very the qualitative richness of it is a gift. Yeah, it flowed through, through their willingness to be receptively open to the flow, and the same with it's really the create creative act, kind of yes. participating in the creativity of God. Mm. Really, yeah. this reminds me. I think it was in the introduction when we talked about uh, Guigo's hidden life. 
and how that was relevant. And you talked about this idea of the hiddenness of God and and that we can kind of experience things arising from the hiddenness of God. And uh, is that is that am I getting close to what, what yeah, the yeah, poet yeah. experiences? Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's say with the person or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Let, let's say yes that he the Guigo like Thomas Merton retreats of Avila. Julian and her hermitage, they were, they were called this very unusual vocation to, physics, to solitude as a, as a deep communion with God in communion with the whole world, like the hidden ministry, this fidelity that touches the world. That. But we, we don't, 99.999% of us don't live in the cloistered solitude. We, we live in the world. But there's a lot of aloneness in the world. I mean, there are people who live alone, people who are widowed, people are, there's aloneness. But what we're saying here, there's another kind of aloneness, solitude, and it's this, is that as I walk this path, or as I seek to be faithful to the stirrings of my desire to be ever more in this, there's something that the closer I get to it, the more and more hidden it becomes. Or put it another way, the me to whom this is most immediately given is hidden from me. It's like reflected out where I'm aware of the aura of it. But the aura is a kind of outflowing of an innermost oneness that's hidden. And I think that's the difference. See, on this earth it's that way. So it's, it's real and deep, it's subtle and obscure. I, think I look on it as an obscure clarity. So it's, but it's a foreshadowing of glory. When we pass through the veil of death, the all is, you know, it's the infinite openness. So it's that very infinite openness, that celestial openness that is already secretly present in us, secretly. And uh, we're called to live that way in the world. See, as a, to be present to the world. And then that heightens our sensitivity of then seeing this in everybody, which then becomes the imperative of social justice or compassion or mercy mm-hmm. or sensitivity like that. I think in the introduction you talked about how we could even focus on our breath and be asking the question, you know, where does it come from? And uh, from a hidden place. And I, I just wanted to ask, because if I was to ask a doctor, they might tell me it comes from, you know, the lungs doing this and the heart doing that. And the, so how, how can we use this, the breath as, as getting us to this sense of hiddenness? Yeah. Let's say, first of all, the, the physician would say that, and the physician would be correct yeah. about the diaphragm and the, the circuits of the brain that control the breath, the autonomic nervous system, and, and all that's true. It's anatomy and physiology and science, and then the medicine that deals with the treatment of disorders and that. But uh, I think I use this image, I can't remember, this long-time friend of mine I went to the doctoral program with, I just talked to him on the phone yesterday, mm-hmm. um, is that um, when their first child was born, um, uh, they, uh, his wife, for the first time after delivering the baby, went out alone to go shopping. And so he was alone with his newborn infant. And he was lying on the sofa, and she was on his chest, and she was asleep, and her mouth was up against his ear, and she was breathing, and he started crying. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, well. That's not physiology. See, mm. he said, well, of course, your tiny little diaphragm is doing this and this and this. And <laughs> what's wrong with me? <laughs> Reaching for a Kleenex like, geez. Like, get over it. See, because, see, the, the, because the, um, it's the immediacy of the emergence of manifested presence. From whence does it arise? And it's God. See, God breathed into Adam the gift of life. And so God's breathing into it in a self-donating act. God's exhaling God see, mm. and giving out, which we receive in our inhalation. And we can be touched by that. See, mm. we, and by the way, so meditative practices that focus on the breathing are to help us liberate ourselves from being so bound up in reflections and thoughts to be in the primordial simplicity of the breath. Mm. See? And then the breath has a depth dimension to it, so it can become the doorway into this realized state. Mm. And we, later when we look at the cloud of unknowing, we'll see that too in the use of a word, or in the Jesus prayer, the use of a word. It just grounds it. He says, where you take everything you know and you bury it in this one little word and stay there. See? Mm. And really these are strategies that invite this state, you know, mm -hmm. this uh, awakened unity state, all these mystics are trying to help us with. And, and that state is that deep interior place you were just talking about that's, that's connected to God. That's exactly. Already one with God. Already one with God. And then, then we see that really it isn't in this state that, we're, that more was given to us, but we fleetingly glimpse what is the infinite mystery of every moment of our life. You know, just the sun moving across the sky is this. You know, the slant of light across the floor, watering the house plants, getting up out of a chair. You know, it, it, everything is unexplainably the manifestation of the manifested presence of God, which is Christ consciousness, which is God consciousness. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. You talked a lot about longings and longings being an important part of the path once you've had the experience. So I'm just wondering for people listening to the podcast, myself included, <laughs> um, I have a deep longing to pursue what you're talking about when you speak of it. I, you know, I, I long for it in my heart to experience it. Does that mean I've, I've experienced it and I'm in the path of longing and I, I might not have realized or is it, I've had tastes of it and it's drawn me, drawing me towards itself. What, what, what would you say to a beginner who has this deep longing? Yeah, this is an important thing, I think, really. See, let's say we could go to spiritual direction to one of these mystics. Say, Guigo. And we're so excited. <laughs> it isn't as if Guigo's listening and then, and then would say to us as gently as possible, you know, I don't think you're cut out for this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, you're you're you you're so far away from it. You don't even know how far away you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is, this is they wouldn't say that. Mm. But what they would do is meet you in the sincerity of the very question that you're asking, mm. because it's never other than the intimate immediacy of that. That that's the thing. That's why I use this image of. Um, where Lao Tzu says in the Tao Te Ching, the Tao like rains down 
-hmm. And the water seeks the lowest place, nurturing all that lives. See? So it's, it's, it's never anything other than the sincerity of your desire to be stabilized in it. Mm. And in and, and some mysterious way, the infinite fullness of God is fully present in the simplicity of that sincerity. I see. I think that's why we're so moved by the presence of children. See, We can sense this in them. See, there's mm -hmm. a plenitude that shines out from their like, charmed ineptness yes. to, to articulate. And I think it's how God sees us in God's <laughs> presence. And so if we just stay there, with a sincerity, and then keep leaning into it and see where it takes you. Yes. Because yes. otherwise, we get this weird notion that there's this thing called mystical union. Uh huh. You know, that's why I use that image in the previous talk too, where, where um, we imagine when we hear talk like this, like a high jumper trying to jump over a high bar, mm -hmm. and we try and try, and just as we exhaust ourselves, God steps out, takes the bar, and puts it flat on the ground. Approaching the bar, bewildered by the simplicity of the task, we trip over it and fall into God's <laughs> arms. And that's really what it's like. Wow. And I would even say this. See, I would say, too, the very fact I use that image and you laughed, I'd say God's the infinity of your laughter. Yeah. See, it's a surprising nearness of what we're looking for. Wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's right here. It's like, it's like that, I think. Seriously. Yeah. But, and it takes you both. It's surprising. It's a surprising end to the story when you... When you um, say the the bar gets lowered, it's not what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like suddenly you can do the jump. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, even though it surprises us, the story surprises us, even though we experience it over and over again, like we're turning to see a flock of birds descending. Yes. Or the face of the beloved. We're waking up in the middle of the night, it's raining. We experience this over and over again. Mm. Like it washes over, but it's so sublime and uh, non-impositionally, pervasively present, we, mm -hmm. it goes, we walk right past it. So, yes. So we're trying to slow way down to become habituated to that, that sensitivity or that sensibility mm -hmm. to this all-pervasive subtlety, which is God, actually, mm -hmm. being poured out as the immediacy of taking a sip of tea or whatever. Yes. Uh, it's so funny you mentioned little children because I got a video from my sister overnight of my youngest niece, Gigi. She's three and she's reading a book about a little bird who jumps out of the nest and gets lost. And <laughs> she she's uh, reading with a very loud, confident voice, so cute. And she says uh, every time she turns the page and the bird says, Where Are is you my, my mother? mother? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you my mother? Yeah. No, I'm a chicken. <laughs> yeah. And See. it's so sweet. Yeah, they're so unself-aware of how disarmingly charming they are. Yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's God, really. Once yeah. I, my, I was with my youngest daughter, and her youngest daughter at the time was, I don't know, we were going to play cards later that evening or something, and her daughter was, I don't know, maybe six. I don't know, I don't know how she was. And they got McDonald's for the children. And they were going to go to bed, but they knew pizza was going to be delivered later. We, we were going to order pizza. The adults were, we were going to play this game. And so my daughter said to her mother, my daughter, you know, Mom, can't we please stay up? Please. <laughs> and uh, she looked over at me. She says, please. She says, I've never got to see an old person eat pizza before. <laughs> 
You know, that's really something. <laughs> please, please. Sorry. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, anyway, okay. Well, when you were talking about uh, the longing and um, the children, it made me think, do you, you know, did you, are you my mother? You know, yeah. that we're walking around saying, are you God? Where are you God? Yes, that's really true. Yeah. No, yeah, it's yeah. really true. Yeah. yeah. The, so that longing, Jim, can you help me just understand? So I feel the longing, you know, and and so uh, I take it to this kind of a practice. I, take, I, I, I commit to a daily time to bring this longing to God. Is that is that part of how we enter the path and ca- start to calibrate ourselves? Yes. Here's a way of putting it. There's this Christian teacher, Bernard Warnigan, He's a very difficult metaphysician on epistemology. And, and um, Mary Froelich did a lovely book on Teresa of Avila, The Inner Subjectivity of the Mystic, on that. But I want to take one insight from that as applied to this. Let's say that longing, our longing is desire. And the desire is the desire for the good. That is, it's the, the will longs for the good. And it longs for for the fulfillment of goodness, which is love. And that's that's a transcendental quality of our very being to long for. And it, it gets distorted in different ways and we lose it and all, all, all of that. See? Then the next level is where the longing is illumined by faith. That is, we realize that the longing is that we're living in a relationship with a mystery greater than ourself. Mm. And that mystery greater than ourself is in relationship with us. See? And so it might, we might experience it as the good, we might experience it as love, we might experience it as the beautiful, we might experience it as fidelity, we might. So these are these modalities of manifested uh, presencing of this mystery of life, an intentional consciousness illumined by faith. If we would say Christ then is the mentor or the exemplar of this. But then what, what the mystics say is that what can happen in the gift and beauty of that, like living that way, mm-hmm. what can happen in the midst of this is that we're given a taste of, of something more. Not more of this, that is not more of the grace of, of the illumined awareness of the goodness of life and how we live it. But a taste of that which is infinitely more than more. See? And that taste is this contemplative experience. Then when the moment passes, having t- fleetingly entered heaven, or fleetingly tasted that which is infinitely more than more, see? then we're left with the desire to abide in what's infinitely more than more and is itself the reality of the very least aspects of everything, the tree, the flower, the stone, whatever. And so that's, and that, that longing then is an echo of God's infinite longing for us. Mm. When God creates us as the beloved, see, God creates us, God longs for someone who longs for God. See, for in the reciprocity of the longing, destiny is fulfilled. And so we're talking about gradations of that. So even the very least, you know, the child's longing 
for the mother. Are you my mother? <laughs> Whatever. All these are echoes, reverberations of this infinite, this divine longing. See, being echoed back to God, created by God, moving ever more and more toward this. And that's one way I see it politically. Yeah. And you said that, that Guigo is trying to help us cooperate with that. Yes. And, and also, and cooperate with it, not just by talking about it like this, which is helpful because it gives poetic insights. Yeah. But how we experientially realize it in the simplicity of the lexio. Um, Thomas Merton once said in a talk, he said, you know, it's not like, it's like you're, it isn't like you're sitting, uh, before the fireplace, sipping a glass of sherry, underlying passages in St. John of the Cross. Going, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> but you never close the book. You know what I mean? You're so, you have a whole library of underlying mystical works. Yes. <laughs> but you never leave words behind. You know, you never sit in the simplicity, like this, this disarming simplicity of the immediacy of it all and let it have its way with you as, as it's given to you to do so. Mm. Jim, you talked about this way we can get so disheartened so that we have the longing and we're doing our practice or we're uh, trying to see God in everything the way you're describing and uh, we can get disheartened. But you said that the master is one who really doesn't get disheartened in the way we do. Can, can you unpack that a little bit more? Yes, yes. So let's say I'm going to speak now as a therapist also. See, another question that's raised is, it isn't just that you long for this, which the mystics speak, which is good. But what's, what's going on with you that your ability to realize fulfillment in the ways that you're able to is not enough for you? Where are you at with that? You, know, you got out of bed this morning. Not everybody did. They went to bed last night with big plans. They died in their sleep. You know, you put your feet on the floor. Not everybody did. Some people don't have feet. You know, you walked out into the kitchen. See? Some people. So where are you at in, in being grateful for and nourished by what you are experiencing? Mm. Like what's in the way of that? Because if we could together find a way to be more nourished by what is there, you would see that the echoes of God are present in that. And uh, then see how that might grow and deepen as you're graced to do so. So the example I gave about limping, about frailty, Mm -hmm. is the example I use is that we said that the, if you got to know, I referred to Thomas Merton because I lived with him. He had a temper and he would have these big fights with the abbot, had different things going on (laughs) with him. And so what you'd realize when you know them and you live with them, you can see, yes, they're authentic. They really are this. Merton was that. Mm-hmm. But he was, his, the human being that he was, you know, his foibles and personality traits and givens. And I mean, he wrote lots of books, but I don't think he had a choice. I think he was driven. He was a contemplatively grounded, driven person. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stop banging away on the typewriter, and he knew that about him. He had other things. But here's the thing. We're saying that the mystic, who is just himself or herself, just like all of us are, they're aware of their foibles, their idiosyncratic foibles and things. But, but 
They're, but they're not handicapped by it. Mm-hmm. Because they know they're just limitations. Why be limited by limitations? Since God's infinitely in love with me in the midst of my limitations. Mm. It doesn't mean I don't need to keep working on my limitations. And so far as I, I know they hurt me and they hurt other people. That's a moral imperative. But my peace isn't dependent on the extent to which I can overcome them. See, which is really placing the ego before God. Can I overcome this? Can I overcome this? Can I overcome that? Mm-hmm. Rather, it's realizing you're being overcome by God's infinite love for you and your inability to overcome. Mm. And so that's why they're not handicapped in the limping. See, they run free yeah. in the deep acceptance of their brokenness like this. Mm-hmm. And then they also know the same is true of you. But you wouldn't believe them if they told you that see, because you're so convinced. <laughs> Uh, the, the authority of your limitations, gotta, I got to get there. Or even yeah. the authority, I don't know if I'll ever reach mystical union. They, they can't talk you out of that. <laughs> it's just mystics don't argue. They join you in your concerns. You know, they walk with you and, wow, I can, oh, gee whiz, I can tell this is hard for you. But you know something? I think what really matters, it isn't just you're longing for something you don't think you'll realize. What's more significant is you long for it. Mm. You're touched by it, and you're t- because you recognize it, and we only recognize what in some way we already know. Because mm. if you didn't already know it, you wouldn't be drawn to it. And I think that would be a good way to start. See, I think that's where the mystics go. They go to the sincerity of the longing. Mm-hmm. Is itself what we're looking for. But we have to be very patient and uh, open and, you know, t- to... S- be, be attentive to that dimension of things. Yes. That makes sense. Yes, that, that balance of uh, working, working on yourself and working to be more connected to God and a more loving person, but uh, the balance of knowing you're already fully loved just yeah. as you are, even as you're working on noticing and working on things. That's right. And that's why I think, too, like, say, say a grandparent or a spouse or anyone who's di- a loved one who's dying and they're very childlike in a way it's amazing how the circle repeats itself mm. and um you as you're as you're with them present with them in their deepening limitations they become all the more disarmingly beautiful to you mm. for the presence that's shining out through the limitations that are actually powerless to, in any way, limit how unexplainably precious they are. Mm. That's why I think this Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on the stages of dying, you know, acceptance is the gate of heaven, you know, that the person in acceptance is dying a mystic. It's like free from the tyranny of death in the midst of death. Mm -hmm. So now we're saying, wouldn't it be great not to wait to the last minute to become that? Mm. Wouldn't it be good to start now? Yes. You know, to knowing how disarmingly precious you are (laughs) in the intimate immediacy of the patterns of the day and like that, you know. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So accepting uh, ourselves and our circumstances uh, in God, um, yeah, while still working on the things that that cause cause suffering or disconnection. 
Yeah, and I think that's what Jesus meant. You know, this is so much at the heart of the gospel, really. See, where Jesus says, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. Mm. That is, there's your God-given capacity to see the God-given godly nature of each passing moment of your life, see? And you don't see it. And this is the source of all your sorrow. This is the source of all your confusion. This is the source of... And so this quickening of awareness through love these, these, this light shining through is something so unexplainably present all along we didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. And we can get acclimated to that hidden light and, and learn to work in that register or that realm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to revisit the practice you offered us earlier, which is to uh, just be, be more attentive to our own lives. and. Yeah. And where this might be arising in the simplicity or the pain or the love that, that we're experiencing. Yeah, you know, something that's occurred to me sometimes, I've, I talk to people, they'll say, um, they, they, they meditate and they have a racing mind. And by the way, there are some people, for different reasons, hyperactive, hyperactive things and different things can be going on with people. And they're, they're better off with lexio or reflective prayer rather than wordless prayer and so on. So wait to look at it. Let's say you're sitting there with your racing mind. See? The idea isn't to try to stop your racing mind. It's to join God in being infinitely in love with you in the midst of your racing mind. Mm. And you might even talk to your racing mind. Where are you headed to so fast? <laughs> see? You know, are you trying to find something? I'm trying to understand you better. Or are you running from something? See, how can I move alongside of my racing mind? Or if I'm sitting in meditation, I'm confused. You know, I don't know what's going on. Instead of being upset by it, try not be confused. To know and trust that as confused as you are, that God's never confused. And God's crystal clear of how infinitely lovable you are in God's eyes. And so your confusion deeply accepted is humility. And mm. in humility is homecoming. Mm. So I think that's, you know, I mean, that's that shift. Yeah. Um, we what start about out, emotions like regret or guilt or those, those kind of emotions? Yes. And we, let's say we, we have done something hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And let's say that's a conscience. We should regret it. Mm-hmm. And, and not regret, we should do something about it. You know, we may need to make amends or work on that or um, whatever we need to do. The truth, truth will set you free. But here's the thing no matter what that is, you regret. Please notice uh, within yourself attributing to it an authority to name who you are that it doesn't really have. For only God's infinite love for you has the authority to name who you are. See, and that's repentance. Mm-hmm. That's repentance, and so that's what we're really trying. To, I mean, that, that's the thing. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciated in this last talk how you brought out one of the challenging passages and. All these, all these mystics from different centuries and different contexts, they have passages like that, don't they? They do. Yeah. God's a jealous lover. And message, angels are secretly watching. They send word back. That's what he did now. <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> just what we were doing so well. You know, I went, <laughs> it all just felt so loving for a moment. And so suddenly... loving. I don't know why I bought into this whole thing with this person. Oh, my God. I'm out of here. So, uh, but see, and uh, regardless of cultural things and all. But I think really the image I use, I think it's really true. 
is that uh, the more deeply in love with we are with someone, the more moved you are never to do, intentionally do anything to cause them suffering. And also we know in their love for us how motivated we are not to do anything that hurts ourselves. Yeah. Because of their love for us, it hurts them when we see us hurting ourselves. And I think that's what it, he's really saying. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. a conscience. In a a con- yeah. It's like yeah. a love but a God-given infused. God-given. Yes. Love, yeah. A, a love-infused conscience. Yes. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, that's really helpful. I think that's what I found with some of those, some of the mystics is, is just those passages like that where you, but that, that was just the language they used. They, they had a. Yeah. And, and there was a cultural thing there, I think, in, in the spirituality of the time and so on, there were certain things where, in a way, they meant exactly what they said. They had this mm-hmm. idea of, that was, really, but when you really look at the purity of the mystic as mystic, yeah, you know, and the truth of the gospel, I think it's clearly more, you know. Uh, I was giving a talk once in Finhorn, Scotland, and, and um, someone at the talk said, um, "You know, it says that Jesus wept, but it says it never said that Jesus laughed." <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's right. It never says that. But I, but I said, I'm sure that he did. You know, I yeah. said, I'm sure he wasn't a dour, hard-to-be-around person. <laughs> and I said, it's not like two disciples standing out on the road talking, and one of them looks up and sees Christ coming towards them, and one disciple says to the other, oh, Christ, here comes Christ. <laughs> it's not possible. You know what I mean? I think he was serious, but very present. Mm-hmm. But he went to weddings and funerals and walked with people and and uh, but it is an interesting observation. It really is that he wept and uh, oh, please, it was a good, nice insight. Oh, but I'm sure he did laugh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, last thing, last question for today. Just reflecting on the the point you made that it's hard to find someone to talk to about these things. And I mean, it's just hard to talk about them in general, but especially as a beginner who's really longing for something and it's it's really even hard to articulate. Um, I even find in these dialogues your poetic words and then my kind of <laughs> uh, questions come crashing into the, the poem. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not true. I don't experience it that way. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, it's hard to... To explain the stream you're in when you're talking about these beautiful things, um, it's hard for me to find words to, to, for that stream. Mm. Let's say something about that. That was a nice word to end on, on words. Let's say that we're taken by this. I guess anyone listening to this series is taken by it. That's why they listen to it. And I think anything that we're taken by, especially anything that we think is particularly beautiful or important, there's a natural desire to want to share it with somebody. And uh, or also because we know we're subject to self-deception, to find someone who can offer some help or guidance like this. And a lot of times, that's not there. Merton told me this once in the monastery, we were having one of these talks about this. And, and he said, you know, once in a while, you'll find somebody with whom you can talk about such things. He said, but they're hard to find. Mm. And he said, that's your solitude. See? So I think aloneness or solitude. So what we do is we talk to God about it, knowing that God's talking with us about it. Mm-hmm. See? 
And also then, we're grateful for the mystics. Because when we read it and we listen to it, the very fact we recognize the beauty in their words, the deathless presence of the mystic is talking to us. And then when we engage in, in meditatio, in reflection, we're talking with the mystic, talking with God, talking with us, and we, we carry that within us. I also think as it deepens, we can recognize that uh, this is present in every sincere conversation, but the mystical dimension is latent. That is, we're just sitting over dinner talking about with each other what happened that day, and we're able to recognize a kind of innate preciousness about the exchange. Mm. But we can't say to the if we know this person that we're with isn't tuned into this, we, you know, we, 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 we don't say, oh my God, do you realize how mystical this conversation is? <laughs> you know, over the shopping we did this afternoon. Because you can tell they look at you funny mm -hmm. when you do that. And so you're kind of imposing on them something that's not where they are. But once in a while, what happens is you find somebody and you can tell, and I, this is what I always thought to, uh, contemplate the spiritual direction too. So sometimes there's a one a little further down the path you can sit and, and sometimes you're a little more down the path, you help them. Sometimes you're just seekers talking with one another. But you can tell like a resonance or a mutual recognition. So I think all the people listening to these podcasts is a community of people mm -hmm. bound together in a shared. So when we have these dialogues where we respond to their questions, if it was possible, put all these people up on the screen at once yeah. and have them unmute themselves. Let's, let's chat. Yeah. It'd be a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It would be and, fabulous. And, and so always just to know that it's there. Yeah. See, but with you and I now, it's here. And as they're listening to us, our conversation is going on inside of them, goes on. So I, I think that's part of the, that's part of the thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a joy to be in dialogue with you, Jim, and, uh, and I'm glad to, I, I hope it's helpful to people listening. Me too. Yeah, I think, me too. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's it for today. Good. And that's, uh, we've got uh, a couple of special episodes coming up, um, but that, that we've reached the end of your reflections on Guigo. Yeah. And uh, wow, what a, what a fabulous season. Really, it was so wonderful. Far. I'm so glad we did went through Guigo like this. It's so helpful. Yeah. Looking forward to next week. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.